0: Welcome to Theodisc, I'm your host, Kenny Ennis, and on this episode, we're gonna be exploring some generational theory and how we can more effectively communicate the Christian faith to emerging adults. I've invited Dr. Ruth Perrin and Ed Earnshaw to speak into this issue. In addition to teaching on our graduate diploma in student ministry, Ruth is a research fellow at St. John's College, Durham University, an associate staff member at King's Church Durham, and is a trainer in Christian leadership. Ed is the Programme Director for our Graduate Diploma in Student Ministry. He's based in Nottingham and works as a student mission developer for Fusion and has several years experience as a church student worker. There's lots to think about in this conversation and I hope it helps you to consider the ways that you can reach across generations in your own context. Enjoy. Well, I'm delighted to have uh, Ruth Perrin and Ed Earnshaw with us today. Hi, guys. How are you?
1: Hi, uh, good. Thank
0: you. Yeah,
2: I'm doing well, thanks,
0: Kenny. Good, good. Um, Ruth teaches um, with WTC um, and Ed is our Director of Student Ministry Programme uh, on the Grad Dip. And so we're going to have a conversation today around this idea of how does does the church reach emerging adults and we will get into that in just a moment but first we have to um get to know both of you um, through a few questions which are to do with um things that you return to so we are interested in your current thinking um, but we'd also like to get to know what are some constants or what are the things that are um things that you keep going back to so a series of three things here the first one is what book do you return to what food or meal do you return to And then what place do you return to? So Ruth, why don't you go with um, a book first?
1: Well, you can have the holy one or the not so holy one, which one?
0: Let's go for not so holy.
1: Um, I return to a book of my childhood repeatedly, which is Anne of Green Gables. And I suspect that many women of, well, just many women, Anne of Green Gables is their comfort reading. But not Anne with an A. I'm a purist. Not this Netflix nonsense, no, no, no.
0: I'll tell my daughter she liked that
2: a lot, so.
1: Well, there we go. She needs to read the actual book.
2: That's it. <laughs> Ed, what about you? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this. I think the the book, at least in recent years, I've kept coming back to is Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. So I don't know if that counts as a holy option, but um,
1: yeah, it does. I
2: found it. Ruth is saying it does. So um. Uh, yeah, I keep going back to that—that idea of um, our doing for God needs to flow from our being with God. I think that's sort of been a really helpful guiding principle for me.
0: And are you emotionally healthy now?
2: Oh, that's up for debate. So, uh, <laughs> what about a food or a meal? For me, and well, so yeah, for me, I think it's so basic, and maybe this. It hasn't really changed from when I was a student, but I just don't think you can beat a good chilli con carne. If I'm cooking something that tends to be something that I will make, I reckon, at least once a month. It keeps coming back to it. It's just good comfort food. All right. Hmm. Ruth?
1: Um, mine is a, a recipe called caramel cinnamon chicken and parsnips. <laughs> which basically is baked chicken with parsnips, but you pour sugar all over it. It's delish. It's from a very, very old cookery book, um, but I love it.
0: Wow. All right. Sugar mm-hmm. on the chicken.
1: Yeah, yeah. You bake it so it forms like a caramelly sauce.
2: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Right. My culinary skills have just been made to feel very, very limited right now.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but you went with something holy after I sat down of Green Gables. So, That's you know.
2: True. I have that.
0: <laughs> Ruth, what about a place that you go back to?
1: Um, there is a beach in Northumberland uh, called Druridge Bay, which is absolutely beautiful. It's miles and miles of golden sand, and it's empty. And Jesus hangs out there. I have found, um, and usually it's absolutely Baltic. So, um, but yes, if I if I need to find Jesus, Druridge Bay will be where I go.
0: I think he goes there on holiday from Scotland. Do you think? Yeah, I think so.
1: Ed?
2: Yeah, I think, I I don't know if I'm allowed to answers, but if I'm not going to the Peak District, I live in Nottingham, which is, it's just an hour away. In terms of a sense of adventure and going outdoors, going back to like certain places within the Peak District, like Port Cloud or uh, Mantour. But I do often find myself keep going back to campus. Like I, I studied at the University of Nottingham and now, I often find myself still being there, like meeting with students, going for walks. It's a beautiful campus, and I don't. It feels like quite a centering place in my life at the moment.
0: Wow. Okay. Is that kind of a latent to de- desire to be a student once again?
2: I've not let go. Really, that's the long and short of it. Well,
0: that's a good segue into what we're gonna talk about today because we really want to get a little bit of insight, Ruth, from your research um into emerging adults. And I know it's something that you're really passionate about. So maybe you could just fill us in on kind of what you what you, your research base is and how that's formed that interest in you about emerging adults.
1: So I've been um in student ministry um or young adult ministry since 2000 So a really long time. Um, and All of my research has come out of pastoral questions that have been raised around what, you know, why is this happening? What differences are all of our ministry making? That sort of stuff. Um, So so my my passion around young adult and young adult faith is rooted in church and parish church ministry. Um, Yeah. And I think it's been really interesting over those 23 years to just watch some of the changes so the uh, oldest students that are you know the students that I first worked with are you know they're in their late 30s early 40s now and one of the questions that the most recent piece of research that I've done although it's a little bit old now I'm not gonna lie it was published 2020 um I wanted to know why some of the students in that cohort that I'd worked with are now you know heroes of the faith and some of them don't believe there's a god anymore. Because when they were students, they were equally keen and I couldn't have guessed which of them was going in which direction. So the research that I did was really to try and find the answer around what happens to the faith of, you know, the keen bean students once real life hits and they go through, you know, their 20s. And this phrase emerging generations. Um, Emerging Adulthood comes from an American developmental psychologist called Jeffrey Jensen Arnett, who in about 2000 noticed that people were kind of growing into adulthood differently than they had before. And that actually for a whole raft of completely legit reasons, people were just taking longer to work out who they were and what they believed and where they stood. Uh, And so he has this phrase that 30 is the new 21. Um, which many, many young adults, you know, kind of are relieved when I tell them that it's okay. They don't know what they're doing yet because 30 is the new 21. So emerging adulthood is this developmental experience that many um, young, not all, but many young adults, particularly in developed cultures are having, that it's just taking them longer to find out who they are, to settle down, if you like. Uh, and and see themselves and kind of function as a what might be considered adult
0: one thing I wanted to ask Ruth was about this idea of the term millennial which <laughs> which seems to be a catch-all phrase for uh people who are in their teenage years or early adulthood. can you maybe speak to that a little bit and why we shouldn't be using that term for everybody
1: <laughs> yeah please please will everybody stop I get asked quite a lot will you will I come and speak to her? Our denomination or organizations, leaders, about millennials. And I always have to double check do you mean that? Uh, my research and specialism is in millennials, um, but most millennials are 30 and above now. So, in sociological terms, millennials are the generation born between 1981 and 1995 ish. Edges are always blurry. Um, so, the younger generation, Gen Z, Um, who are students now, they function quite differently and think quite differently to millennials. Um, So I have, you know, done presentations a number of times where I've had people come up to me, millennials come up to me and go, you're right, my sister is six, seven years younger than me, but her whole worldview, her whole attitude is different. So there is um, quite a marked difference. Uh, between millennials and then Gen Z. Um, there's all sorts of reasons for that, that we don't need to go into now, unless you particularly want to. But um, I I think those two generations are struggling to understand each other a little bit. So yeah, so for all those church leaders out there, all young people are not millennials. If they're under 30-ish, then they're probably, they think like a Gen Z-er. So former generations may have asked, is this true? You know that was their kind of resounding question is the gospel true whereas my observation and again sweeping generalizations so forgive me but is this true doesn't seem to be the question that many young adults are asking they're asking will this help you know the the, the truth is not like a cognitive can i theologically line the dots up it's a: uh, is this god real is this community authentic Will will everything around is fake news nobody can be trusted can this be trusted will this help me navigate the complexities of my circumstances um so i i think that there are some different questions being asked or at least a a different way of understanding what truth might look like you know does it help is it true in that way
0: And it is interesting that we're talking about that desire for authenticity, because there's a lot of stereotypes about emerging generations, that they lack ambition, that they're not committed to anything, that they're detached from reality by technology, and and really that they kind of don't have the common sense of previous generations. What have you found in your experience is actually going on um, with emerging adults?
2: I was reflecting, like, what what are the characteristics, the traits of, like, uh, Gen Z, I guess to a wider extent, millennials as well. But I think I really see a generation that is actually, there is ambition there. They're, like, incredibly innovative. Like, they, a desire for a better world, actually, you know, not necessarily the hand that they've been dealt with. And I think we can see that come through from the justice side of things, that it's evidence in the Black Lives Matter protests, like climate justice, all of that is really pertinent. Uh, And I think as well, uh, you know, whilst there may be certain levels of truth around, I guess, uh resilience, I, I think Ruth, you've described Gen Z as like brittle before, like actually quite hardy. But when there's pressure applied, there there can be a fragility there. I'm actually sense that Gen Z as well are really creative, they're inquisitive, like there's there's something quite activist about them as well. And um, so I see all of that flying in the face of the those stereotypes that people put forward and can actually maybe be a bit reduce perhaps gen z i think there are so many amazing things about them as a generation which uh, about current students which mark them out as so open and actually such a positive force and presence in our churches and like indeed just in society in general
3: yeah
1: yeah i mean there's really interesting research that came out of the states a few years ago Um, so i've got a book here c miller and grace um and one of their observations is how hardworking gen z are um so millennials may have been a little bit flaky and everybody's going to take a gap year that's what we call them in durham um you know to discover themselves and go elephant trekking and all of that uh, but gen z financially can't afford to do that most of them so they're much more likely to you know i'm i'm not going to do an unpaid internship i'm going to get a job i'm going to make some money and i'm going to you know take responsibility that way again we're talking about a whole generation of people in simplistic terms but my my nephews for example are all gen z and they work super hard super hard their uni studies are you know they're so focused um so the whole like lazy slacker student narrative I I don't see that in the gen z as I know I see them wanting to do well because they are anxious because they want to get a good job. And now we're in a recession. And, you know, so there is, a, I think, a conscientiousness in them Um, and the protesting. You know, they're quite militant about things. uh, And and at times that's a bit much, (laughs) but they care about stuff. You know, they're, they're not just all sitting playing on computer games. And the, the, you know, the truth, they're not engaged with reality. Well, the truth is the digital world is a real place and people are really connecting and engaged and doing things and building things in the digital space. Um, So, you know, when you see Gen Zers wandering around with their phones, they're probably not playing a game. They're probably communicating with somebody. You know, they probably are WhatsApping or Snapchatting or whatever they're doing. So there is this strange dichotomy of people being hyper-connected, but also really lonely. Um, and, and you know, lots of researchers are kind of exploring that. And there's lots of debate about, oh, you know, if it's not in person, is it real? We saw that with the pandemic. People aren't in the church building. Are they engaged in a community? Are they engaged in worship? Well, those are real spaces for the people that engage meaningfully with them that way. Um, so, so I think churches have got to take that seriously.
0: We've kind of touched it a little bit and what we've been talking about, maybe we can move into to speaking to what, the kind of attitude amongst students at the moment is towards faith and spirituality, what the openness is to that, and maybe how the gospel can resonate with where they're at.
2: I think um, Barna did some research, didn't they, Ruth, which came out in 2019, which amongst, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like amongst UK adults, I think, so those aged between, age between 18 to 35, of which obviously students form a big part, I think it's like 61% of them believe in spiritual forces, mm-hmm. which shows that there's like over half of the UK young adult population believe there is something else to this world than, you know, it purely being a material thing. And then I think you also saw over lockdown, for instance, I think it was a tear fund who did some research that like one in three young adults had watched like a religious service online during lockdown, which is a huge number of people. Now, not all of those people would have necessarily been church, but it is very interesting that there is an incredibly, there is an incredible openness amongst like students at the moment of faith. And uh, Ruth, you can speak more into this, but I think there's, would we use the term memoryless like actually people haven't necessarily been brought up going to church so their understanding of what it is is actually very different and that's kind of feeding a desire to be like well is the church something that will help my wellness that will help my well-being help give me a sense of purpose and identity within this world
3: yeah yeah
1: Barna actually produced another report uh last year 2022 uh, about Gen Z in in particular, and they uh, christened them uh, the Open Generation because their findings were that actually, um, yeah, just and it's it's a global, it's a global picture, not just um, a, a British one. Uh, but but just people are not carrying the same baggage, like you say, Ed. This memoryless thing, people that just don't know anything about Christianity. They don't know who Jesus is. Easter is about chocolate and bunnies. They've got no idea what the cross means. Uh, I mean, you know, my youngest nephew, who's from a non-church background, can't tell me the Christmas story. He can't do it. He's 12 years old and he doesn't know it. Um, And so I think, you know, younger generations are not carrying the same baggage as perhaps those who are in church leadership, you know, the boomers and the Gen Xers, you know, those of us who are kind of, 45 50 plus our generations carry this residual memory of christianity for good or ill and often it was ill but um the younger generations now the literally ground zero do not know what happens in that building do not know what christians believe um all all they've got is what the press report or what their friends say but um yeah the 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 general sense I think coming out of research is that although lots of young adults have issues with the institution of the church particularly around you know gender and sexuality uh, and those sorts of things in terms of individual Christians they like their Christian friends Um, and, and so I think part of the A task for us is to encourage Christians to be more upfront and more open and have more confidence that in a world where you do you is the narrative. It's legit for them to do faith and therefore be public and open about their faith. And actually, people are not aggressively opposed to that. Um, They may well be curious about that. Uh, We had a situation here a few weeks ago where one Student brought nine of their non Christian friends to a church service. It wasn't a special service, it was just a normal service. They rocked up with nine friends who were like, Yeah, we'll come and check it out.
0: I think it's interesting then to think about what the responsibility of churches is then in terms of what are we inviting people to. I've read some things in the past about kind of the infantilizing of church where the the notion is that to appeal to young people you just you get yourself a smoke machine and some lights and a cool band and that is what will do it right and i think that notion in the last few years has kind of kind of been blown out of the water more and more what what is it how can churches be effective in communicating um or in welcoming um the kind of that student age
1: i think the experience that Well, I think it's the experience we all want, isn't it, is to actually meet God, to be in the presence of the God who loves us. And, you know, there have been times when that has, you know, the Pentecostal charismatic movement. It's been it's been loud and it's been, you know, a worship band and lots of noise. And there have been other times in church history where that's that's looked different. and that, you know, there will be young adults that do want them like the mega church. You know, we we call it a plausibility shelter. Um, you know, there's lots of other Christians here. I'm not mad for believing this because, you know, 97% of my friends think I'm bonkers for believing, you know, in Jesus. But here, oh, there's a crew of us. And developmentally, that's really normal for people to kind of clump together like that. But, you know, I think... It's also like to go back to your thing about Kenny, about authenticity, people that are really interested in them and actually care and know their name and invite them into their home and just share life with them. That that's really powerful. I heard a shocking statistic last week, which is that student mental health problems have increased by 450 percent in the last five years four hundred and fifty percent so when I started 23 years ago mental health things they existed but they were occasional I would say it's unusual now to meet students that haven't got some sort of struggle in their past or their present and so Mm. I I just think churches that are kind and love people I forgive me for being a bit ranty but I feel like if the church did what it said on the tin Young adults would be like, Oh, those people actually mean this. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Or, you know, this is how they will know you're my disciples because you love one another. There's a community here where people really have each other's backs and are humble and gentle and honest. I I just think young adults, you know, they're, I, I don't know how to say this on a Christian podcast, they're BS radar is so sensitive because they're bombarded with fake stuff all the time that they can discern authenticity a long way away and when churches really mean it when older Christians really mean it when you've got someone who's been walking humbly doing mercy and you know all of that for 50 years they spot a hero of the faith they see that in well those of us that are that (laughs) and they're like oh yeah no there's someone that's actually walking the walk not just giving it all the chat um i I think that's what we've yeah i think that's what we've got that and prayer (laughs) i think that's what we've got
0: and I'm sure that there are those who feel a particular call towards being a touch point for, mm-hmm. for those young people. Um, and we might call them student ministers or whatever it is, you know, but people who have that, that passion to, to be available to people of of these emerging generations. Maybe we can just talk as we, we finish up here about kind of the importance of churches investing in that of, Um, Making sure that's available, particularly those churches who are around and about um, large student population centres.
1: Can I just push back a little bit on that, can I? Go on then. Yep. So here is what I observe in a lot of churches in student cities. There's an appointed person Mm -hmm. or perhaps small group of people that are the student ministers. And so the rest of the congregation doesn't bother to engage with the students because that's the job of the student ministers. And often the student ministers are themselves 25 years old. Perhaps they might be a little bit older. And so the pastoral responsibility for caring for this really vulnerable age group is dumped on people not much older than them while all the grown-ups jolly often do their own things okay so forgive me for this but if you're in a church in a student town we all need to be student ministers (laughs) because that individual 25 year old that you're paying a pittance to do that job cannot shoulder the pastoral weight of a 450 percent increase in mental health problems Okay, so sorry, I know that sounds a little bit ranty, but I've just seen it so often that student workers burn out because what they're carrying, you know, they haven't got the experience to manage that level of pastoral complexity. You know, those of us that have been doing it 25 years are struggling. Mm. Um, And so we all need to pile in on student work, you know, in the same way that we all need to be engaged with the children. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Rather than hiving students off, um, and so I think just that—just go and have a conversation with a student. Chat to them at the bus stop, or you know, in Tesco's. Or I think people can be really intimidated by young adults and assume that they're all going to be like, you know, aggressive. We hate grown-ups, <laughs> but that's certainly not my experience. Of students and especially not the ones that are in and around church they may stand in little huddles that's really intimidating to bust into but it's because they're nervous and they're 19 and I'm 53 so I need to put on my big girl pants and go and start a conversation with the nervous 19 year old who's come to my church Um, and so I think all of us need to step into that not just delegate it You know, to the student team. Sorry, rant over. You can tell I'm passionately about that.
0: It's not just a tick box exercise, is it? So we've got we've started a ministry. Therefore, we're doing it.
1: Absolutely.
2: And I I think it's the thing where like for those who are like student workers or student ministers, like for those doing that role, the importance of investing in them is so that they're actually equipped to do it. Like actually, that they that they can be upskill as a practitioner in that ministry and that mission field to to catalyse that calling to actually you know invest in it and legitimise it as a profession, not just a, as you say a job that needs to be done. But that also, as you say, Ruth goes more widely. Like we've all got a role to play. This isn't student ministry; isn't just for something for people in their twenties or thirties. It's for people in the whole church who feel called yeah. to yeah. that group of people who want to be spiritual brothers and sisters, yeah. mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers, are like actually to invest in theological training for, for people who care about that generation. You don't need to be a paid or unpaid student worker who has that title. You could just be someone who has a heart to want to disciple and raise that generation up. And yeah. I think um, it's, and I think that's what it means to be the church, right? Like we've all got a part to play and it's not just you do this part and I do this part. Like It it all comes together in this holistic whole.
1: I, I often go, so one of my research findings was that the people whose faith had thrived through their 20s all had an older friend. Okay, And that might be somebody that was 10 years older than them, or it might be somebody the age of their parents but who had just faithfully journeyed with them through all the ups and downs and the bumps of trying to start a career and, you know, maybe get married or not get married and maybe be a parent or maybe buy a house or maybe none of those things have happened. And that's been really hard. And just that adult friend was a real like that was a significant part in how their faith survived those ups and downs. Because somebody that was older invested in them. And I often talk to people at churches about the need for cross generational friendship. And it's not all one way. It's brilliant having a friend that can actually sort your computer out. Let's not lie about it. You know, we all need a Gen Z in our life. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's that beautiful story, isn't there, in the Gospels of Simeon and Anna, who, you know, in their dotage, you know, Anna's what, 80 odd. And this, Teenage girl Mary comes with her baby. So, Mary's what 15, and this woman in her 80s prophesies over this young mother, you know. And it's this it's like her grandma, it's this beautiful moment of the all these generations serving God and welcoming Jesus. And and I just think we've hiding everybody, like the generation labels that we've been using even in this podcast at one level they're really helpful but at another level they silo people off from each other and i you know if people take one thing from this can we just break the silos um you know just in, invite somebody 10 years younger than you around for dinner or to walk the dog with you or you know just have arms that are open to people across the generations. Um I just think that's that's the body of Christ, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, when I was a student I had friends who were married and had kids and who would just invite me into their homes and I just I learned so much from just being around them and being accepted, you know, as an as an individual. Um, and still to this day they're mentors in my life and it Mm -hmm. all started at that stage Mm -hmm. you know for me and
1: I bet you were a real blessing to them because you were an extra pair of hands to wrangle the children while dinner got cleared up or whatever it was do you know what I mean? These things aren't all one way students have a contribution and a blessing to bring to those who are reaching out to them
0: you're right Ruth I was a blessing to them (laughs) I'm sure you were (laughs) So we're just going to finish off here, um, but maybe we can speak to what is, what is WTC doing about this, about like some of these issues that we've we've spoken about?
2: WTC is really passionate about seeing university students and people in that stage of life being transformed by Jesus on campuses across the country. So one thing WTC has done is it's collaborated with Fusion, the student mission movement, to develop um, this graduate diploma in kingdom theology with student ministry. Which is a vocational track of the graduate diploma program that we offer, and so I think if you're someone who not only wants to enrich their own faith but wants to uh, ground their ministry in Jesus and, and mature their ministry, if you're somebody who wants to catalyse your calling and grow your confidence and ability to to reach, welcome, and disciple students, whether you are a student worker paid or unpaid or whether you're just someone who has a massive heart for students and wants to invest in them and mentor them for the long term then this could be something that's really worth considering and um it's it's well worth doing i'm doing the course as well and it has massively benefited my work with students and um ruth is one of our lecturers she she delivers a module on church and student culture and there are so many other amazing modules as well from maturing a student ministry form for mission, professional formation. And these things are really designed to legitimize student ministry as a thing, like legitimizing like outreach to students and and to be able to equip people to do that well so that we can see this generation change. So we can see them raised up and released and um yeah, thrive in their faith and in their workplaces as they journey through university into their twenties and beyond.
0: Brilliant. So where did they find out about that, Ed?
2: Well, if they want to find out about that, they can go to the WTC website and uh, they can go to the program section and find a bit that says student ministry, or they can get in contact with me. Um, my email address is smpd at uk. And um, I would love to have a chat with you if you feel called cool to that or are interested in that or know of someone who you think might be. Well, Ruth,
0: Ed, I really appreciate you spending the time to talk about this today. It's been eye opening for me and I've really enjoyed the conversation some of the pushback, some of the just thinking through these issues, <laughs> some of the ranting. Great. <laughs> it's
1: great. superpower. What can I say?
0: <laughs> Thanks guys for being here. Appreciate you.
3: Well, Thank you Ruth and Ed for some brilliant insights into the Church's role and responsibility in reaching out to emerging adults and what makes a student ministry successful. If you would like to find out more about our student ministry grad dip, then head over to the program section of wtctheology.org.uk and you will find all the info you need to help equip youth theologically for ministering to university students. In our next Theodisc episode, Kenny will be chatting with Ali Blackley-Whittle, WTC's study skills lead and lecturer in Old Testament about interpreting certain challenging passages in the Bible that deal with gender equality issues. This episode will not be for the faint-hearted and does come with a safety warning. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 14 with Ali Blackley Whittle when we talk about equality and the Bible. Bye for now.